When you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, we'll be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17, we'll be reading verses 32 through 50. Again, a warm welcome to those who are maybe visiting for the first time or watching at home for the first time. We are in week two of a sermon series that we're doing on the life of King David. Uh, we're calling it the gospel according to David because in so many ways, King David is a, a picture of who Jesus is for us. His kingship, as flawed as it is, urges us to look beyond David to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to be reading a very familiar passage. We're not going to read the whole chapter, though we really could. It's really the whole chapter is the story of David and Goliath. But instead of reading the whole thing, we're going to pick it up at verse 32, and we'll read through verse 50. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight, fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh Lord our God, such a familiar story, and yet how wonderful and amazing it is. We pray, Lord God, that as we study your word, you would give us a spirit of illumination, the spirit of illumination, your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord God, that you would apply these truths to our hearts and our minds and our hands, that we might finish the sermon, not only today, but every day, as we love and serve our neighbors. Hear our prayer, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. When I say the word hero, what kind of images come to mind? Do you think of perhaps a superhero, someone like Superman or Wonder Woman or one of the Avengers? Do you think of maybe an everyday hero, perhaps a first responder a, a, some, a policeman or a fireman or an EMT? Do you think about teachers? Do you think about doctors and nurses? Do you think about librarians? Do you think perhaps about plumbers or carpenters or electricians? This past week, we had a, a shower upstairs that would not turn off, and our plumber was a hero to us. For he fixed us, and he fixed our house, and he saved us, and delivered us from the mighty waters that were flowing from the shower upstairs. Perhaps you think about spiritual heroes, pastors, or counselors, or elders, or deacons. Can a Sunday school teacher be a hero? I think so. Can a youth pastor be a hero? I know so. Perhaps you think about biblical heroes. Maybe like judges like Gideon or Samson or Deborah. Maybe you think about prophets like Moses or Elijah. Maybe you think about queens like Esther or kings like King David. What about members of your own family? Is your mom a hero? Is your dad a hero? Are your grandparents heroes? Mine certainly are. What makes a hero a hero? Is it confidence? Is it courage? Is it loyalty? Is it integrity? Is it making your bed? Is it picking up your socks off the floor? Is it chewing with your mouth closed? Are heroes the fastest? Are heroes the strongest? Are heroes rich and famous? Are they powerful? Are they influential? What does a hero look like? Does a hero look like Tom Brady? Does a hero look like Amelia Earhart? Does a hero look like Albert Einstein? Does a hero look like Kanye West? What makes a hero a hero? Are they born? Are they raised? Can anyone be a hero? Can you be a hero? Can you be like David? Can you be like Jesus? 
You know, the writer of the book of Hebrews calls Jesus the hero of our faith. He's our archegos, the hero of our salvation, the guy on the movie poster. What is this story told thousands of years before Jesus was born, have to do with Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about David and Goliath. We're going to talk about heroes and heroism. We're going to talk about courage and bravery and faith. But we're going to do so in an unconventional way. Now, normally when we come to the story of David and Goliath, we tend to think of David as someone who represents our enemies, our problems, our challenges. And so, our goal is to fight that giant, to be like David, to pick up five smooth stones, five principles, five techniques, perhaps even the five points of Calvinism. (laughs) To hurl those five smooth stones at the giant, and in the end, you'll win because the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Is that really what this story is about? Is it about something much more than this? You see, I don't think this story is about one hero, David, and one villain, Goliath. I actually think it's about four heroes. I think it's about four different ways to be a hero, some good, some not very good. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope you are, here's our outline. Here's what we're going to do. First, we're going to see that Saul is nobody's hero. Then we're going to see that Goliath is the world's hero. Third, we'll see that David is God's hero. And fourth, we'll see that Jesus is our hero. Our world desperately needs heroes. Our kids need heroes. Our culture needs heroes. Our church needs heroes. What kind of heroes do we need? What kind of hero do we need? Let's take a closer look. We begin with Saul. Saul was nobody's hero. Now, let's set the stage. In the opening verses of the chapter, we are told that Israel is in a standoff with the army of the Philistines. The army of the the Philistines is camped out on one mountain. The army of God's people, Israel, is camped out on the other mountain. And there's a valley separating the two armies. Into the valley stepped a giant. A giant named Goliath. Verse 8. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. Now, why was Saul afraid? Why why was the army of Israel dismayed at this man who came out to challenge the armies of the Lord? Well, for one thing, he was huge. He was a giant. He was about eight feet tall. That is taller than anyone who's ever played in the NBA. 
And he wasn't skinny like beanpole tall. He wasn't like a Manute Bull or a Sean Bradley. He was Shaquille O'Neal tall. He was Wilt Chamberlain tall. He was this massive, huge, strong man. His armor, we're told, weighed about 125 pounds. The tip of his spear, the tip of his, of his javelin, weighed about 16 pounds. Now, we don't know how much of the rest of his armor weighed, but we can presume that the totality of his armor between his helmet and his shield and the armor that he wore and the sword that he carried weighed more than the biggest, strongest man in all of the armies of Israel. We also read that he was a very nasty individual. Verse 44, the Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Not a very nice thing to say. If someone were to say that to you, you would probably think, this guy's not very nice. <laughs> you kind of get the sense that Goliath has killed some people, and you also get the sense he kind of enjoys it. So they're afraid. The big question is, who's going to fight Goliath? Who's going to step out and fight the giant warrior, the champion of the Philistines? The answer should have been Saul. Saul was the king of Israel. He should have said, I'll fight the giant. I'm the leader. I'm the captain. I'm in charge. The buck stops here. We also know that Saul was bigger and taller and stronger than anyone else in all of Israel. That's precisely why they made him the king. They looked at Saul, they noticed that he was a head taller than all the other soldiers, and they said, this guy looks like a king. He looks like a warrior. He looks like an army ranger, a navy seal. Let's send Saul. In a sense, Saul was Israel's Goliath. And yet, he didn't fight. He didn't fight because he was afraid. He didn't fight because he, he didn't have faith. He didn't fight because he wasn't a hero. What is courage? One writer observes, courage is the ability to do the right thing, regardless of the danger and regardless of the circumstances. It's the ability to do what Daniel's three friends did when King Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the fiery furnace. In Daniel 3.16, we're told, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, if you do indeed throw us into the fiery furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand O king, but if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, God might deliver us and he might not deliver us. But either way, we refuse to bow down to your idol. We refuse to accept your pagan ideology. We refuse to go along with the flow because it's simply easier to do that. That's courage. Courage is the ability to say with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was hanged by the Nazis in the final days of, of World War II, here I stand. This is the end. But for me, the beginning 
of life. That's courage. That's courage in the plans and purposes of God. Saul should have had it, but he didn't. He feared death more than he feared God. He feared failure more than he feared God. And in the end, Saul was nobody's hero. Now, the next thing we'll see is Goliath. In many ways, Goliath is the world's hero. Now, you might wonder as you read this story, was Goliath a courageous person? Yes? No? Now, we're tempted to say no only because we know that he's the villain in the story, and so we have to believe that he was sort of this sniveling, conniving guy. But if you actually read the story, he seems like a pretty brave person, does he not? He stood alone in the valley separating the army and said, you bring me the strongest, meanest, ugliest guy in your army, I'll fight him and I'll win. And not only did he do this one time, sort of summoning up his courage for this one event, he did it day after day after day for 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 16, for 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand Morning and evening. Is that courage? It's actually arrogance. Now, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference because courage can look a lot like arrogance, but they're very different. See, courage says, I might lose, but I'm still going to do the right thing. I might fail, but I'm still going to take my stand with the Lord our God. Arrogance says, I can't lose. I'm bigger than David. I'm stronger than David. I'm invincible. Look at David. He kind of looks like the baby of the family, does he not? Look at him. He's ruddy complexion, his beautiful eyes. I bet he uses moisturizer. I bet he buys skinny jeans at the mall. He's a shepherd. He's a kid. I'm a warrior. No chance. How tall is he? 4'11", 5'3"? Come on. In other words, Goliath overestimated his own abilities. And he underestimated his opponent's abilities. He had what one writer calls counterfeit courage. It looks like courage, but it's not the real thing. See, counterfeit courage says you can be a hero if you just believe in yourself. Counterfeit courage says you can be a hero if you just visualize victory, visualize success. You can be a hero because everything that you need is right here. It's right here inside of you. You have all that it takes to achieve success. Here's the problem. Strong people who believe in themselves lose all the time. Goliath, in the story, lost. Last year, I read a book by a writer named David Goggins. Now, I don't recommend the book. There's some pretty salty language in there. But David Goggins was a Navy SEAL. He had done Hell Week in Coronado three times. The first two times, he flunked out of Hell Week because he had injuries and he couldn't continue. The third time, they told him, if you flunk out again, you can never be a SEAL, you can never come back here, you can never do Hell Week again. And so, with two broken legs, stress fractures in both legs, he taped his legs up with duct tape 
and didn't tell anyone so that he could finish Hell Week. He succeeded. After Hell Week was over, after many years in the Navy SEALs, he decided that he was a little bit bored with being a Navy SEAL, and so he decided to enroll in Army Ranger School. He did it, he succeeded, and he was the only person ever from the Navy SEALs to complete Army Ranger School. Then when he retired out of the Rangers in the, in the Navy SEALs, he decided that he wanted to be a marathon runner. And then once he became a marathon runner, he decided he wanted to be an ultra-marathon runner. He would run 100 miles in a given time through Death Valley in California, and he said, listen, I'm going to do this. Now, if you read that story, you, the guy's a beast. He's a giant among men. He's Goliath. And in the book, he says this. I'm paraphrasing. He says, the secret is your mind. The secret is, you've just got to believe in yourself. The secret is, you've got to envision yourself finishing Hell Week. You've got to envision yourself running through that finish line. It's all inside. It's all about you. You have to summon the power that is inside of yourself. It's an appealing message, isn't it? You have what it takes. Believe in yourself, and you can't lose. Except Goliath did lose. He didn't take David seriously. He didn't, he was out of touch with reality. He should have seen David coming with a sling in his hand, and he should have been afraid. See, Goliath was a big, tall, lumbering fellow. Uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell suggests in his book about David and Goliath that he might have had bad vision he might have had uh, impaired vision. That's why he says to David, why do you come at me with sticks? He was only carrying one stick. He might have had double vision. And so the great mighty Goliath should have seen David coming and said, I'm slow. I'm lumbering. Here's this quick, agile opponent with a slingshot in his hand. I need to, to defend myself. He did nothing. He was too busy smiling he was too busy smirking. He was too busy dismissing David, not a threat at all. Look at this David, little shepherd boy. And he was so busy believing in himself that he missed the 90-mile-an-hour fastball that was headed right between his eyes. Now, it's easy to laugh at the folly and the pride and the arrogance of someone like Goliath. He's clearly the villain of the story. But how often do we do sort of the same thing? How often do we overestimate our own abilities and underestimate the abilities of the enemy? Listen to how Paul describes the fierce battle that we face in Ephesians chapter 6. He writes, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. In other words, your armor won't protect you. Saul's armor won't protect you. You're not in a physical battle against a physical enemy. We are in a spiritual battle against a spiritual enemy, and therefore, we need the armor 
of God. That's the only way to fight, and it's the only way to to win. Goliath is the world's hero. He believed in himself. Goliath lost. Goliath always loses. David always wins. That's the third thing we see. David is God's hero. Now, what do we learn about David in this story? For one thing, we learn that he was courageous. Contrast Saul's reaction to to Goliath, the giant, with David's reaction. First look at verse 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now jump down to verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now remember, David was a boy among men. He was a shepherd among soldiers. And yet, he had more courage than the king of Israel. He had more courage than anyone in the army of God. Where does that come from? Now, we already noted that Goliath had counterfeit courage. He had courage that that was arrogance masquerading as courage. He was someone who believed in himself. He said, I'm invincible because I'm strong. I'm, I'm big. David had true courage. He had courage born of faith. He didn't believe in himself. He believed in a God who can do the impossible. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves. Not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. In other words, I see you, Goliath. I know exactly who I'm facing today. I see you're big. I see you're strong. I see your sword. I see your javelin. But guess what? I have something that you don't see. I have the Lord of hosts. I have the God of angel armies. You're right, Goliath. I can't defeat you. But God can. See, God doesn't need swords to win. He doesn't need spears to win. He doesn't need presidents and politicians to win. He doesn't need pastors with movie star good looks to win. I am the exception, not the rule. (laughs) He doesn't need you to be a perfect mom and dad for your kids to turn out. He doesn't need you to be a perfect kid to earn the approval of your parents. He doesn't need millionaires. He doesn't need billionaires. That's how the world wins. That's the world's formula for success. That's not how God wins. God wins with the littlest guy in the army. God wins when we pray. God wins when people get baptized. God wins when we take the Lord's Supper Supper together. 
God wins when we have faith and sometimes when we don't because the battle belongs to the Lord. And so my question is to you, thousands of years removed from this epic story of David and Goliath, do you believe in a God who can do the impossible? Do you believe in a God who can change your life? Do you believe in a God who can forgive your sins? Do you believe in a God who is coming back someday to make all things new? The world says impossible. God says possible. All things are possible with God because our God is a giant slaying God. Our God is a promise-keeping God. Our God is a death-defying, sin-forgiving God. Our God is a life-transforming God. Do you believe that? David did. That's what made him God's hero. Goliath trusted in himself. David trusted in God. Now we'll close with this. We'll close with Jesus. Jesus is our hero. Now, as we read this story together, you might be wondering, well, where's Jesus? I mean, I see Saul. He's clearly in the story. We see David. We see Goliath. But where's the fourth man in the story? Is there a fourth man in the story? The answer is yes. There's always a fourth man in the story. Remember the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nebuchadnezzar, and the fiery furnace? Here's what happened. Uh, they gave this brilliant speech about how they were going to trust in the Lord. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, well, I guess I've got to throw you in the fiery furnace. And that's what he did. Threw him in the fiery furnace. Well, not only did they not die, he looked down into the fiery furnace, and there was a fourth guy walking around in there. And he said, how do we explain this? I threw three men in the furnace. There's a fourth man walking around. Why? Because there's always a fourth man walking around. Don't you see? Jesus is in every story. You just have to look. If you do, you'll find him. Do you see him? Now think about what happens in this story. Israel needed one man to fight for the nation. They needed a champion. Do you know what a champion is? Well, in the, in the Hebrew, the word champion literally means a man in the middle. Now think about that. We've got the army of Israel over on one mountain. We've got the army of the Philistines on the other mountain. And they're, they're, there's a valley in between. Goliath is a man in the middle. He's a champion. He said, I'm going to walk down here. I'm going to fight your best man and winner take all. That'll be the, the winner of this, this fight. So the champion is a man in the middle. The champion marches boldly into the valley of death to fight the enemy. And here's the thing. If he wins, his victory is imputed to the people. If he wins, you win. He is our substitute. He's our vicar, as in vicarious. He fights this vicarious battle through, through us and through him. But that's not all. The hero, the champion, the man in the middle is also a shepherd. He's someone who looks weak. He's someone who looks unimpressive. He's someone who won't wear Saul's armor because it doesn't fit him right. He's someone who can't win. He's someone who should not win. He's someone who does win because the battle belongs to the Lord.
Do you see him yet? Do you see who Jesus is? Do you see what Jesus came to do? Jesus looked weak. He looked physically unimpressive. The Bible says he had no form or appearance that anyone should be drawn to him or think he was, you know, looked like a king. Not at all. In fact, if you read the gospel accounts, the disciples are constantly going off to the side and saying, he doesn't really look like a king. He's riding in on a donkey and we're cheering him, but it just doesn't quite seem right. He doesn't fit the description. That's Jesus. And yet, Jesus, our king, marched boldly into the valley of the shadow of death to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there he not only defeated a giant, he defeated three giants, sin and Satan and death. And he won by laying down his life. He won by losing. He won by dying. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead in victory over his enemies and ours. And so Saul's question, which he asks David at the end of the story, part that we didn't read, is very important, is it not? Verse 58, then Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? David's answer was, I'm the son of Jesse. Jesus' answer is, I'm the son of God. I'm your man in the middle. I'm your king. Jesus didn't win in spite of his weakness. He won through his weakness. He didn't just save us from physical death or destruction. He saved us from spiritual, eternal death and destruction. His victory is our victory. His righteousness is imputed to us and becomes our righteousness. Yes, we need courage. Yes, we need strength. But more than anything else, we need a mediator. We need a man in the middle. We need forgiveness. We need grace. We need the gift of everlasting life. You know, so often when we read Bible stories, we put ourselves in the story, and we tend to put ourselves in the story in the place of the hero, do we not? I've read the story thousands of times, and I always think to myself, I'm David. How am I going to fight my giants? How am I going to have this kind of faith? How am I going to win? My friends, I'm sorry to tell you, we're not David. We're the guys in the army. We're the guys up in the hills with our knees knocking together, chattering, saying, I'm not going to fight him. Are you going to fight him? No way. He's too big. He's too strong. We are by nature and by sin fearful people, unwilling and unable to fight the battles that God has set before us. The good news of the gospel is that we do have a champion. We do have a hero. We do have a man in the mirror, in the mediator, in the middle, someone who will defeat sin and death. We have someone who can reconcile us to God. And so my encouragement this morning is to let his victory be your victory. To ask him to fight the battle for you. Just go to him honestly. Just say, Lord God, I can't can't defeat this army. I can't defeat this giant. He's too big. He's too strong. What am I going to do? Ask him to fight that battle for you. Ask him to be your mediator. Ask him to be your savior. Ask him to be your king. He will. 
tell him, Jesus, I believe you died for me, and from now on, I'm going to live for you. That's the fight. That's the battle. But the good news is, Jesus wins. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you that you are mighty, mightier than us, mightier than our enemies. Lord God, we thank you that there is no Goliath which can trample us down and defeat us. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us great hope and great joy in Christ. Hear our prayer, for we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And this time I ask you to stand with me as we sing our closing song of celebration. Let's stand and let's sing. You hear me when I call, you are my morning song. Though darkness fills the night, it cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy underneath my feet. You are my sword and shield. Though troubles linger still, whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. My strength is in your name, for you alone can save. You will deliver me, yours is the victory. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever. He is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. And nothing formed against me shall stand. You hold the whole world in your hands. I'm holding on to your promises. You are faithful, you are faithful, and nothing formed against me shall stand. You hold the whole world in your hands. I'm holding on to your promises. You are faithful. You are faithful.
God's good word for you as people. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now and in the life to come, amen. amen. Let us go forth.